0: The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. LinkedIn News.
1: What is a question that you are holding for yourself and for this world that is unfolding ahead of us? Hey everyone, from LinkedIn News,
0: this is In the Arena, a podcast exploring human potential. I'm Leah Smart, and every week you'll find me right here in conversation with bright minds and brave hearts, learning how we can improve our lives and our world by transforming ourselves. Okay y'all, so this is one of those conversations I love because I get to talk with someone who has talked to like everyone, and that's Krista Tippett. She hosts the show On Being, which is one of the top podcasts in society and culture. Krista is a Peabody award-winning journalist, a New York Times bestselling author, and a national humanities medalist. Her show, which is described as an adventure in the mystery and art of living and a calling to be part of the generative story of our time, has been running for 20 years. And here's where the conversation took us. It took us to life after the pandemic, the new-for-some racial reckoning, the economic challenges, and the global war that has changed every single one of us in some way. What we really were getting at is that we're all rethinking, redoing, rehashing, and reflecting in the hopes of restoring what we lost. And not just what we lost during the pandemic, but I think a lot of us are realizing that somewhere along the road, somewhere before then, we lost sight of who we were and what we wanted and what really mattered. Krista has done this kind of thinking with the world's greatest minds that you have and have not heard of. So yeah, we got a little more philosophical in this conversation and we had some big talk. Where we landed was, what questions and decisions can we be making to be more intentional contributors to what lies ahead for all of us and our world. Here's Krista.
1: I felt like there was this great void where we didn't know how to speak about some of the things we most long to speak about, which is, you know, what you do with your show, what I do with mine, these questions of meaning, this matter of our inner lives, of spiritual life, you know, questions of moral imagination, it's hard to put words around this. I think for me, it's been to keep listening, listening to my guests, listening to our listeners, listening to the world, and, you know, constantly revising that, how how to be of service in this moment. What we did during the pandemic was kind of week to week to week, what nourishment is needed? What nourishment can we offer? What do we need to be talking about that we don't really know how to talk about robustly?
0: I think a lot of people who do things that are in the service space, we do them because we've had an experience in our lives that has led us to go on this path where we want to support other people who may be having said experience. Or we want to go deeper to keep answering our own questions. That's kind of like the the secret, like, benefit of actually doing this work is it helps you continue on your path while you're helping others. What do you believe is needed right now that's different than what was needed twenty years ago?
1: Twenty years ago, If you looked at the sphere of how do we speak about spirituality, religion, moral imagination, there was a lot of fighting about religion. I mean, I really think there's so many dynamics that are alive. There's a lot of despair that's alive that has then been, you know, deepened by the pandemic. If I just think about what the pandemic shifted, that the ground beneath our feet is never as solid as we believe it to be, that things can change in an instant, that we are vulnerable— that civilization is built around something so tender as bodies breathing in proximity to other bodies. We had that experience all at once. And, you know, this extraordinary thing happened that as a society, initially, in the very first kind of civilizational question we asked was, what is essential and what is non-essential? Right? That is the spiritual question for a life or a society. And You know, what came after that was this racial reckoning, which was not about something that had not been happening, but something that that became ununseeable for more people. So I see our racial reckoning, our economic challenges in that framework. All of that feels like it is something that I I want to speak to and make offerings to with my work. But what I just described to you, you know, that has all been sharpened and framed, brought into a different kind of relief than pre-2020. It's really interesting.
0: Yeah, I feel like we're different and we're the same and I hope we change. I remember when when this, you know, lockdown did happen and I'm in New York and everybody was saying, well, we're going to be back in a few weeks and then we're going to be back in a few months, yeah. etc. Yeah. and then everyone realized scheduled things oh, that's for
1: September. <laughs> correct,
0: right. And you're like <laughs> yeah. I won't see you until for another 2 years actually. Um I think it was a the big question that hit uh me and I think hit All of us. And I was mostly had my eyes on the millennial generation because that's who I am. And I'm looking at us and saying, you know, the people who I know and the world I live in, what are people rethinking? They're rethinking what they do, how they spend their time, why they do what they do and what actually matters um, and then you saw a lot of people starting to decide, you know, I'm going to quit my job. But, you know, you heard stories of people going from their their high paying corporate tech job to working at a coffee shop or whatever it was that they wanted to do to pursue a life of more meaning and purpose. And I'm curious, because as I look at everyone else, I'm like, oh, what will they do now that they've had the reckoning? What was your reckoning?
1: So on the one hand, we all had this experience at once, and on the other hand, we had infinite variety of what our circumstances were. So for me, um, I had been leading this life of constantly being on the road, right? And that's the way we lived. I was speaking. I was raising money. I was traveling several times a month. I kind of knew that it was too much, but it didn't seem like something I could disrupt. And so I got grounded, and I— got rested, right? I mean, so so obviously there was a larger picture of distress, but at the same time there was this calming, right? And there was this enforced <laughs> enforced stopping. And I realized through all of that, first of all, that I had just gotten used to putting my body through this unsustainable pressure, right? Like there's a certain level of exhaustion that I think I had accustomed myself to that it felt normal. And so I think one of the big, you know, kind of ways I can have come out of this wanting to live differently is deciding that I don't want to get myself back into that state. Also actually requires discipline and spiritual practice to make good on these promises we've made to ourselves because it's just too easy to kind of default back. And so, you know, I'm kind of feeling like we have to be there for each other in a new way because otherwise there's just this inertia, right? It just happens again.
0: And all of a sudden you wake up and you're like, oh my gosh, it's 2025 and I'm back to the same thing I was doing. I'm back. Yeah. yeah. For some reason, there's a deeper why for, for this shift. And so I wonder if that's part of what we're all fighting was like, we didn't ask for this. And yet things were revealed to us during this time that we can't ignore. Um, But we're being offered the opportunity to walk right back into the lives we had before.
1: You know, technically, we are. Technically, I can get on a plane as often as I did before. But I feel in myself, and I feel like when when I go a little deeper with people, you know, the truth is, We have all been changed. We were stirred up at a cellular level. There were a lot of losses, large and small. We don't know how to grieve collectively. And even during the pandemic, um, even ordinary direct grieving wasn't possible in the old way, right? So I feel like we're all still carrying a lot of what happened to us without processing it. And that if we rush right back into what feels like it should be normal again, I don't think we'll be able to pull it off, right? I think that we are really being called to be reflective about what we went through, what we were called to learn, who we're called to be in this world ahead.
0: Everybody has their gateway into, like, self-development or this world And my gateway more recently, it's been happening slowly over time, but what kind of broke it for me was um, listening to an audible, which was The Power of Vulnerability with Brene Brown. And it was the first time I'd heard vulnerability was not a weakness, but was in fact a strength. Mm -hmm. Um, And she said, you know, what feels like weakness in me looks like courage in you. And I was like, oh, my God. and It started me down this path of being more open about my own experiences, the things that I would have, you know, tucked away or not talked about. Um, It definitely came in line with, you know, having this show and sort of reckoning with the process of growing while you also publicly exist with a show where you're talking about this and how much of yourself you share and how much you don't people don't know how to talk about a lot of these things. And one of the things I think a lot of people don't know how to talk about that I still am grappling with is spirituality. And I'm curious, you've done so much of this work. You've talked with people all over the world from all different walks of life, all different religions. When you think about spirituality, where does it play in our future together and our future individually? And how can we each show up in whatever that means for us?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, spirituality is a word that I actually try not to overuse just because it's so broad, right? And because it means so many things to so many people that in fact, whatever the connotations the word has for me doesn't mean it lands with anybody else in that way. So, but really what we're talking about spirituality basically is is inner life, interior life. There's more to it than that, but that that's where it begins. And we don't have a lot of formation for that culturally. We don't We don't get formed, you know, in school. We get formed in the external. We get formed in presentation and performance. We get rewarded for those things. But this is an essential aspect of how we grow as human beings. Because, again, I think when we talk about spirituality, we're, we're often not clear what we're talking about. But for me also, I'm deeply invested in how we rise to the best of our humanity, right? How each of us shapes our presence in the world and how we are present and participating in these great challenges. They're in each of our lives, they're in our communities, they're in our workplaces, they are on our planet. And innovation is not necessarily progress. But if you're talking about transformation that advances how human beings live, that advances human flourishing... There is inner work involved in that. When I speak with people who have done peace-building work all over the world, it's only when there is a deep interior struggle and clarity and transformation that you have societal transformation that is sustainable, right? That, it, that is transformation as opposed to something that can change back again. And I think that this question of who we will be to each other How seriously we wrestle with that and call ourselves to that in terms of our ecological, our racial, our economic challenges is going to be the difference between whether we survive or whether we flourish, whether we really rise to to be people and societies that we want our children to inhabit. And so this inner work is not soft, right? It's absolutely key to that.
0: I remember when I first started reading books when it was still widely called self-help. And I think it still is, but like people have spun off a little bit from it. But as I started doing more and more of it, I realized that there was a lot of cynicism around it. And I couldn't quite figure out why, because every time I cracked open a book that I thought was powerful, I was like, how could you not want this It's in some ways like self-help to me is like the modern day religion, you know, in some ways your modern day connection to your inner life. Right. Without necessarily committing to something specific and being somewhere once a week with a certain group of people who do exactly the same thing. How do you talk about this to people who are skeptical, who avoid things like this or conversations like this? I mean, I think today we're having this reckoning, you know, especially in the corporate world around conversations that involve mental health. And so, yeah, sure, people are becoming more open. Only in the face of tragedy are they becoming more open, but they are. You know, instead of being reactive and going, okay, I guess we should care about this. What do you think is the difference between people who want to approach this and people who resist
1: it? There's a cynical idea that that this is the soft stuff, right? This is for people who are troubled and not as serious. And in fact, this is this is the most serious work of all through all the investigating and studying and conversation I've had, you know, my working definition of spirituality at its best is about befriending reality. Reality in all its complexity, right? This part of life actually does not shy from the complexity of things. This part of life, unlike our culture, actually tells us that In these times when the ground shakes beneath our feet, when we question everything, those are openings to change and to growth. I think this part of life, when it is honestly pursued and with authenticity, is the most reality-based thing we do. But there's just kind of a mentality shift.
0: I was talking to someone uh, not long ago and... Um, we were talking about, you know, I've, I've been in therapy and I, I try to talk about this because I think it's really important for us to just talk about it. There's so much that we just don't talk about. And then when you do, all of a sudden, you know, it's it's sort of like the thing that you were so afraid to talk about becomes normalized and then you're comfortable talking about it. And then all of a sudden someone else is comfortable talking about it. And it is definitely kind of a, it's a domino effect of, you know, creating safer spaces where people can be safe within themselves and then can go out into the world and talk about it. So we were having this conversation about therapy and I was sharing that, you know, I used to go every week and that my therapist was like, I don't really think you need to keep coming to me every week anymore, maybe every two weeks. And my immediate response is to grasp and be like, no, 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 I got to come every week. And the response of the person I was with was like, yeah, but you're not you're not messed up. There's nothing wrong with you. And I was like. I believe that's why so many people are depressed, anxious, addicted, etc. in our society today is that we don't allow ourselves the space to say, sure, maybe I haven't had the worst possible trauma I can imagine, but it doesn't mean that I couldn't benefit from doing this work and looking at my inner life.
1: You know, you mentioned mental health a minute ago and... You know, really, when we talk about mental health, we're actually talking about a lack of mental health, right? Like, we've only become fluent in in seeing the crisis, and part of that crisis, there are many, many reasons for that crisis, but part of it is that we are not sophisticated and strong and searching in talking about what it looks like and how you become a whole human being. Or how we support whole human beings. And whole human beings have problems, right? Whole human beings have sadness and loss. And and they may have depression and despair, but they're not alone with that. And they have ways of becoming healthy, right? Of being grounded. They have tools and resources um, for living with what is and that is the move and it's really kind of an evolutionary move that we have to make as a society that we have to make as workplaces but we're in this messy this messy liminal space right where where we have to figure this out and it's a you know in some ways it's a an incredible thing to be this generation that is figuring that out or that is not able to live as we lived before even if we'd like to
0: We're taking a quick break When we get back, Krista shares what she understands about why we should stay curious every day. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise. A promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. A promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. And we're back with host of On Being, Krista Tippett. You know, I I have always been drawn to conversations like this, and so I enjoy them. It's like a, a deeply fulfilling thing. But... At their core and at probably at my core is also curiosity and I think curiosity is something a lot of us um, choose not to have or kind of tuck away in exchange for uh, knowledge, what we call knowledge, um, or being sure. Um, And there's a quote that I love from Mark Twain who says, he who asks is a fool for five minutes but he who does not ask remains a fool forever. What questions do you believe we could be asking right now that would make humanity better?
1: So my question is a question about questions. And, you know, we really in this society are kind of in love with answers and we're really good at arguing and we're trained to be presentational. And there are other ways to use words that are equally important. And anybody who's listened to On Being has heard me quote Rilke, (laughs) Rainer Marie Rilke, the poet. And... One of the things Rilke talked about is living the questions. When to rush to an answer would be to disrespect the gravity of the question, um, which describes a lot of what's before us now. A lot of the things we have to figure out, that we have to do better, that we have to make better, that we have to come up with new forms for. If you can't live the answer, then what you have to do is live the question. And I've really taken this as a spiritual discipline I find that if you hone a question and carry it around with you and have it over your shoulder, and it will whisper in your ear, right? It will point you to things that you haven't been seeing. I kind of live this way. I will sometimes, especially when I don't see a way forward, um, will formulate a question to live with. And, And this is not something you just do for a day or a week. It's something you do for a year. Ask yourself, what is a question... I want to hold and live about this world now, about my presence in this world now. Take care with formulating the question and write it down and rethink it and sharpen its focus. I have experience, and I've seen other people have experience that that is a really this is a really valuable exercise. It's a spiritual practice, but it's also a practical discipline.
0: Do you feel that you come up with a real answer or is it it continues to be a question that gets like integrated in how you show up in the world? I almost am like, I wonder if there's ever an answer.
1: It kind of reveals to you the limits of what you're seeing now. It actually shows you where you need to stretch beyond what you already know, the answers you possess. A question is a wonderful companion for learning things you didn't know you needed to learn. Whatever turns out to look like the answer that you live into probably will be something that you couldn't possibly imagine now because you hadn't really sent yourself beyond the limits of your knowing.
0: I started studying adult development um, as I was getting into this work, and one of the theories I loved is uh, Robert Keegan, who's a professor at Harvard who talks about the theory of adult development and the ways in which we change over time as adults. In his book with Lisa Leahy, Immunity to Change, they note that A large part of the adult society is called the socialized mind, um, which is I receive my value and my beliefs from the outside world. I bring that internally, and that's my inner world. I imagine that's the part of the world where it's like, Assumptions have become beliefs that are held so tightly that any threat to those, it shakes the ground beneath your feet. And I think that's part of where we've gotten to in our world of social media and, and, and the media in general, where you can just find whatever rabbit hole you want to go down and have you know, confirmation bias everywhere. And then there's this next step, which is the self-authoring mind, where it's about 10 percent of the population of adults. And unplugging
1: is kind of an act of rebellion uh, today, right? (laughs) It is because we're really trained to look for a solution, right? And to do some action. Yeah. And to think that then we've pushed beyond it. But we waste a lot of time setting things in motion, that we will then have to undo, mm-hmm. right? It's once we've had a little experience with them or thought more deeply or or know ourselves better. And we do that collectively and we do it individually.
0: Have you noticed in the people that you've talked to where that point is and why they choose to say yes or say no as far as going on that journey, which I think is really the journey of our interior lives?
1: So the pattern is the same. It's It's an illness. It's It's a separation. It's a divorce. It's a change of job. Um, It's depression. It shouldn't be unexpected that these moments happen, right? Mm -hmm.
0: I remember before I started getting into this work, um, when I would hear about something hard or sad that somebody was going through, particularly if they were, like, on the edges of my circle such that I could, like, back up, I would that's the the tough part about experiencing really hard things is, you know, I, I don't believe in comparative suffering. All of us have some level of pain that we've had in our lives. And as I moved into this work more and became more aware of how powerful it is to stay with it, I recognized the value of showing up for those people. And what I learned was how many people backed away from them in the moments that they most needed support. And I think it's almost like it's because we're afraid. Like, is your, is your thing going to rub off on me? Yeah. It's because we're afraid. Yeah. Yeah.
1: At every moment, we're all walking around with whatever our softness is and what our vulnerabilities are. And, and maybe much of the time, if we're not carrying our vulnerabilities on our body in a visible way, we can hide it or we think we can hide it. And if we haven't worked on ourselves, if we haven't invested in this interior human reality— so these dynamics that happen inside a human body and a human heart and a human mind translate to the larger sphere but we don't we don't want to live this way right and so i think that is the generative life-giving spiritual challenge you see we don't want to live with so how do we walk into that conviction
0: You know, and you said in Becoming Wise, hope like every virtue is a choice that becomes a habit that becomes spiritual muscle memory.
1: Yeah, I think we've treated these virtues like, oh, some people are just born like that. Some people are compassionate. Some people are hopeful. Some people are patient. No, we practice these things, and that gets stronger in us.
0: Chris, I'd love to have you answer a couple questions for me in a a little bit more of a rapid-fire play. What do you feel like you know is true about human life? based on the work that you've done.
1: It's strange, and it's harder than we want to admit all the time, that we become who we are, not, not just in the hardness, but it, it lives right along what gives us delight, joy, and, and that is wholeness. What do you feel like you know
0: about our time here, each of our individual time here?
1: It's, it's never a straight path. In that effort to kind of be who we want to be, to do the things we want to do, and the fact that we fail again and again, we, we still become ourselves. We can always correct course.
0: What do you know about how we make meaning while we're here?
1: We make meaning not with lofty abstractions. We make meaning with the raw materials of the lives we've been given. And that is one of the most astonishing things for me to have paid attention to, um, is how human beings do that whatever those raw materials of their lives are. You can do it or you can fail to do it, but it's not because you were dealt a great hand. It's like, it's how people work with what is before them. And what do you believe about
0: afterlife or what happens when we are no longer here?
1: To me, that is uh, one of the things that this life of conversation for me has planted in me is a great reverence for mystery and really a delight in mystery. And I think there was probably a time in my life, certainly in the religion I was raised in, when I needed to have answers to that question or to believe things. I'm completely curious. I I make no assumptions. I think it's a mystery, and uh, I'm happy to stand before it as such.
0: So you believe there could be nothing, there could be something we don't know, and we'll all find out.
1: (laughs) Yeah, we'll find out. Yeah,
0: (laughs) TBD. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining me. This was amazing, and the time flew. I
1: know it did. I can't believe it.
0: That was Krista Tippett, multiple award-winning host of On Being. One big thing before we go, and I'm still thinking on this one. What's a question that you want to hold and live when it comes to showing up in the world right now? I challenge you to consider one that you're actually okay without rushing to an answer for, or that can simply guide how you live. Okay, so actually, here's mine. It's one that I feel is really centering and has guided me before to what's right. And that's what would love do? Now, I know it's not as cheesy or as simple as it seems though. I understand love as the thread that unites all of us, that lights us up. It doesn't always do what's perfect, but when I do ask myself that question, it does what's right. Honestly, I do not get this perfectly all the time, so I just want to note that I ask this question probably less often than I should, (laughs) but it's a guiding way for me to show up in the world. And just consider if we asked that question a little bit more before we made judgments, before voting for policies, or even having a conversation with someone we love. How we deal with our relational, ecological, racial and economic challenges, is going to be the difference between whether we survive or whether we flourish. So for me, it's what would love do. If this conversation shifted your perspective and has you thinking about greater meaning in your life, share it with someone who might be looking for the bigger picture. Maybe this conversation can open their mind up a bit and help other people like you find our show by leaving us a rating before you go. Even better, write a one-sentence review telling me how you're thinking about the questions that we can all hold. And as always, you can find me on LinkedIn writing about human potential and meaningful living. In the Arena is a production of LinkedIn News. The show is produced by Alexis Ramdow and Rafa Fariha. Asaf drone makes sure we sound good in the studio and mixed our show. Enrique Montalvo is the executive producer of LinkedIn Editorial Productions and Dave Pond is head of news production. Courtney Koop is head of original audio and video here at LinkedIn. Dan Roth is the editor-in-chief of LinkedIn. And I'm Leah Smart. Thanks for coming on the journey with me and I'll see you next week.